Um, I'm, I'm, I, 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 see, at this point, I want to just mispronounce everyone's name so that no one <laughs> is upset with me. Like, nah, I, I can't pronounce my own name. name. Boogs. I'm Luke Boogs. <laughs> Luke Boogs. Or Luke. Luke, Luke Boogs. Boogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. I'm, that should be the opener. And today we have Luke Boogs. <laughs> yes. Who has a condition where he can't pronounce even his own name correctly. <laughs> Hey, I took speech classes in kindergarten. Don't don't bother me. Hello and welcome to Peach Pot, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and we've got the whole band back together today. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you? I am doing great, Kyle. Uh, surviving... Uh the league up to finals, but I have a little bit of a uh, new energy uh, to keep me going with uh, what we're talking about today. So I'm excited for that. Well, that's good to hear. And then we are also joined by our numbers guru, Austin Wagner. Austin, how's it going? Uh, not too bad. Excited to talk about it today. Um, so as Luke previewed, we are going to take a look back at the election results for the 2017 elections there were some special elections in the house and the senate and there was the mayoral election and city council elections in atlanta um, along with some other elections nationally in virginia new jersey maine uh, washington state that all gave us a little bit of a picture of the national mood in terms of how people feel about donald trump and republicans in congress right now uh, you get a little bit of a window into that looking at election results from other states, particularly Virginia, where they basically had almost a full statewide slate of elections um, up in Virginia. So we'll talk a little bit about those today. That's going to be our main topic for today. Um, so with that, I think we'll just jump right in. Uh, Luke, let's start with you. Um, Tuesday night was a big night for Democrats in Georgia. Um, can you just start by telling us why uh, Democrats in Georgia are a little bit more excited than they were before these elections last week? Yeah, so a lot of times when we're on this show, I kind of feel like I'm Professor Farnsworth, where I come on, it's like, good news, everyone! Terrible things happened. And uh, this is not how I am today. Today I am legitimately saying good news, everyone, because... Basically, to kind of recap, we've been talking about this and we've been having a lot of these candidates on the show of candidates that were running in some municipal elections, but also a couple special elections that Georgia had due to uh, the governor appointing the two Republican Athens state representatives to different positions. So those seats were opened up and then Hunger Hill's uh, Senate district was opened up because he decided to run for governor. And these were seats that... And us doing the numbers over the years and looking at the races that we always like thought should be on the table if the Democrats were ever going to do really well and you know pick up some seats and try to you know uh, eat into the Republican margin. And that being said, while they were always on the table, they were never seats that I thought like, oh, we should win these if we tried. It'd be like, no, these this would be like a drawn out hard fight and if everything went right and the sun and stars aligned, we would win. And it'd be barely. And that's not what happened on Tuesday, uh, because we won by a lot. And I was really, really surprised that we won by as large of a margin as we did. Um, being on the ground in these districts is something that I was very excited about <coughs> because usually we're kind of a little divorced from 
the areas we're talking about, but this was like literally my own state house district. So I could see what was happening on the ground and I could tell that there was a ton of energy from the Democratic side and not nearly as much from the Republican side. And also just the quality of the candidates were significantly different in that uh, for once I felt like the Democrats were outgunning the Republicans in a place where that really doesn't seem like that would be what you would expect. So I was I was feeling pretty good about 119. Uh, 117 I was feeling pretty bad about, and, and that had very little to do with the candidates, but it just had to do with the fact that uh, Houston Gaines, who was the Republican candidate, had just raised so much money, and he, he had a lot of support in the community, at least it appeared to be, but it seems like not really. So I say all this to say, <laughs> because there's just so much going on with these two Athens races, to really get down to the bare bones of what, we've seen happen here and kind of what happened around the country is that Democrats just really, really showed up and that they, the turnout was just significantly higher in Athens than it was in the other parts of these districts because, and I think that's because people are realizing uh, that they're really pissed off about all the things that are happening in government. And the only way that we're going to be able to fight back against that is voting some of these people out or in the case of these open elections voting better people in so that's kind of like a broad 30,000 foot view of what's happening um i am hoping that that was not just an insane rant by a a, a very very tired law student but yeah well, that's, there's uh there's a uh, one thing that you left out luke who, and that's in who, district six well, also, who won the state house races? Oh, I should probably say that. That's important. Uh, well, I, I, w- I guess I was, you know, fumbling the lead there a little bit um, uh, in the sense that, oh, the Democrats won, by the way. Uh, that's a very important thing. I kind of took that for granted because most people have been, like, screaming either enjoy or fear uh, about that for the past couple of days in Georgia. So, yeah. So, in House District uh, 117, Deborah Gonzalez, the Democrat candidate, won. And then uh, House District 119, which is my home uh, district now, uh, Jonathan Wallace won, who we've had on the show. So if you have not listened to that talk with him, you should, because he's a state rep now. So uh, his his opinions matter a little bit more than they did when he was just uh, uh, campaigning. Um, so, yeah, I, I am very excited about that. And then to talk about um, Senate District 6, this was Hunter Hill's Senate District. It was definitely and austin can correct me if i'm wrong i'm pretty sure that was like the most competitive of the senate districts uh in the whole state if not one of the most and yeah, at least um, at least one of the most right um, about the most competitive but it was one of the closest in in 2016 when jaha howard ran last year he got pretty close and did a lot better than people thought he was gonna do against hunter hill yeah which i agree that he did a lot better than i thought he would um and that now that on Jaha is just like that's a tough seat um because all the Senate districts are very heavily gerrymandered so it's hard to flip any of them and he'll uh, have a lot of money yeah he raised a lot of money and he raised a lot of money this time but now the really interesting thing is in Senate District 6 it was a jungle primary just like the John Ossoff race and just like a couple other races that we've seen uh around the Georgia and the country and it is two Democrats it's Jen Jorgen and Jaha Howard, which there's there's a lot to talk about in that race, but I'll we'll, we'll get we'll come back around to that. So yeah, basically, Democrats won everywhere that I if I thought it was possible that we could win it. Like there's a version of reality that we could win 
we won those seats and that's pretty pretty surprising i think it um it fits in what we're seeing nationwide and i think it really uh raises the question of like how many more seats we could win because the uh, state house districts 117 119 uh, 119 like i said they were on my list like they were seats that i thought we could win but they weren't at the top of the list i mean there's a lot of other seats in between that i that democrats really really have a good chance of winning so i mean there's significant gains we could be making if we run good candidates and i think that's the real lesson uh from both of these races uh, the state house races is that we ran pretty good candidates and they really outperformed the past performance of the district and you know jonathan wallace really outperformed his district like in insane way like um Austin, do you know how how much is like it's? I know it's double digits. I mean, is it like? Tw- <clears throat> it was almost fourteen points, right? Um, that he increased on the Clinton numbers. Um, I mean, Gonzalez did too in in one seventeen. She increased by I think about seven points. Um, but I mean, the Wallace numbers were just just huge. I mean, a fourteen point push in one nineteen. Um, so and I'll you know put the damper on the you know we want every place thing real quick, especially with. Senate District 6. Yes, there are two Democrats in the runoff, but the Democrats did not break 50% in SD6. So really close. It's like 49.9 something. Um, But they didn't break 50 still. Um, So, you know, there's obviously going to be a competitive race in 2018 when that comes back around. We've already seen some of the, the Republican leaders in the state talk about how the Democrats really didn't win and um, Josh McCoon is going to introduce new legislation to, to change the way we do primaries or, uh, sorry, special election primaries and runoffs, um, because he didn't like the fact that there were two Democrats who, who won, but yeah, Which hilariously, I mean, it might backfire on them. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Uh, but either way, I mean, I think I don't really like the jungle primary. I don't think it's the, the best way to do it. I mean, it worked in the favor of the Democrats in this instance, but as much as I'm not a fan of Josh McCoon on, on other things, I do think there's a better way to do special elections, but that's probably another discussion for another day. Um, but yeah, I mean, Senate District 6 is, is interesting because I felt like it was probably the next Senate district that, that could flip to the Democrats, and we did without breaking 50%. So there's some interesting things there. You know, there's a lot of, lot at play in the race. I mean, if, there were five Republicans and two Democrats, so you never know who would have flipped a different way if it was only two people. That's an interesting one to watch in 2018, definitely, though. So, Austin, with the with these massive flips um, in terms of the numbers from the candidates and how they outperformed Clinton from 2016, were you surprised at the disparity between the performance of, like, Jonathan Wallace and Deborah Gonzalez over where these districts were in 2016? or Or were you kind of anticipating that with the national mood very much against Donald Trump and the Republicans in Washington that that a you know, margins like this might actually be possible. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always possible, but you know, we've seen in other instances in, in Georgia where all the people who say that they're undecided or anything, they seem to usually go one direction and that's not to the Democrats. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's, it was always possible given the mood, but you never know what the Trump language is going to do. I mean, obviously there's people that are going pretty strong in on the, the, the Trump rhetoric and seem to be doing well. Um, you know, don't seem to be losing their ground too much. So you always wonder, is this really something that can happen? Um, you know, I thought they were going to be close. I thought 117 might 
might flip. I didn't necessarily think 119 would right away. Um, but obviously I was, it was wrong there. And the sentiment against the, the Republicans and the kind of Trump stuff that's trickling down obviously made a, made a huge impact. Um, I mean, I'm surprised that 119 was, um, such a, such a large flip. I mean, 14 points is just, is just huge. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's a special election for a reason, you know, it's hard to extrapolate these results, uh, into 2018 without any caveats because, uh, there's just, there's so much, I mean, we're sitting around 20, 21% turnout and in the, in the midterms in 2018, you know, we'll have a governor's race, we'll have the statewide elections and we probably can expect turnout to be somewhere between, you know, 50, 55% and then maybe higher if it's a really good turnout year. But it's obviously a lot more people and a lot different race. Uh, I'm not trying to throw water on everything because the results were, were impressive. I mean, in every precinct, uh, in 119, every single precinct was a gain towards the, the Democrats at minimum, a six, a six point gain towards the Democrats in every single precinct in 119. It was almost the same in 117 as well. I mean, you see it across the board. This isn't isolated to one one specific area. Um, only a few precincts moved towards Republicans in, in 117. But what we really won it for both of the candidates, I think, is that the like percentage of their vote, the share of their vote, you know, there's no real good way to figure out what turnout was really like and was it better than what you'd expect in maybe the midterm or uh, during a presidential election year, because like I said, you're on 20 something percent turnout, you know, that looks bad on its face. So what I did is look at what the, how much of their vote came from each precinct. So like how much of, of Jonathan Wallace's vote came from, you know, precinct one C in, in Clark County. And what we see is that a lot of the precincts were, were pretty, pretty similar um, to what happened in, in 2016 as far as the share of their vote. But we saw pretty big gains in the Clark County precincts as far as the the share of the vote that came from uh, those precincts. So, uh, you know, basically what that means is compared to 2016, Clark County showed up a lot better than the other counties. And, you know, with the way the districts are drawn, that was definitely going to favor favor the Democrats there. I mean, you're talking the precincts that have 70, 80, 90% of the vote for the Democrats came out and took up a bigger share of the vote than the other counties. So, and that's really where it happened is it seems like Clark County turned out more than, more than the others. And the question remains on whether that's going to, that's going to continue into 2018. But I think that shows where the sentiment is. I think it's a combination of people maybe running away from Trump or just staying at home. So, you know, maybe some of the people who had voted for Trump came over and said, nope, I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to vote for a Democrat this time. And I also think we probably got a lot more Democrats out to vote. The election day turnout was pretty substantial compared to the the early two. So a lot of things in there. And, you know, like I said, open question on what happens in 2018. And there's a reason it's called a special election because we get stuff like this with a 14 point flip. So this has kind of been an ongoing question for me. I'm actually a little bit surprised at how shocked a lot of people were um, that Deborah Gonzalez and Jonathan Wallace won in these seats. I mean, these seats were described as like deep red, rural, ruralish Georgia. Um, but the way, and it, and it makes me wonder if if the Demo- if the Republicans, if they have the opportunity, are going to try to redraw this district or the the districts in and around Athens because they did manage to 
take an area of Athens that is very blue and turn it into a place where you can get two Republicans and one Democrat. But part of how you had to do that was to put parts of Athens, Clark County into all three of these districts. And that if in any instance where Democrats, where this huge concentration of Democrats is in Athens, if they would all turn out the way that you would think they would, if they were excited about an election, then it, it actually isn't surprising to me. And it seems to somewhat give outsized influence to Democrats in Athens that, you know, maybe Athens for the size of the city it is, maybe it doesn't deserve three seats, but it's gerrymandered that way. Um, but, you know, it's not surprising to me that that there are three Democrats now that are going to go to the state house from Athens, from the Athens area, given that all three of those districts, uh, you know, they have to include parts of Athens, Clark County, along with the surrounding rural areas. Well, I can give you two reasons for someone who's, you know, lived in Athens for uh, quite some time is why we'd be surprised. The number, the, the one reason is pretty public, which is the fact that since those lines were drawn in that way, no Democrat had really ever run <laughs> in those districts. So it's kind of like we never really had a good measure of how well a Democrat would do in these districts. Because, of course, we can, you know, extrapolate from the statewide data and have an idea. But it's just like no one in, in this community had made the argument for electing a Democrat and had the benefits of having a candidate on the ground exciting people. So on that front, we just had no way to measure it at all. The other thing is, I know Austin and I, I'm sure a lot of other people, were watching the early vote data like Hawks, and it did not look bad, but it didn't look as good as it needed to, because traditionally, Democrats just don't show up on election day at the same rates as Republicans. So, like, for me personally, I was the most surprised by uh, 117's results because 119 looked really, really good in the early vote. Like, I was like, this is possible. Like, if it, you know, if everything happens the right way, like, we might win this thing. But 117 looked awful. Like, it, it did not look good at all. The Republicans were leaking in the early vote. And so I was like, well, you know, that's that. But, um, the turnout on election day was just substantial in Athens. It was really, really intense. And so that's, that's why it's surprising. Um, and I think that sort of is a hint forward for us for how we're going to do this again in Athens because, I mean, it's very important to point out both Deborah and Jonathan are going to have to run again in 2018 and they're going to have to win against a, you know, more usual turnout situation, which we, I mean, we sincerely don't know how they will do um, because, you know, we saw a similar thing happen with Taylor Bennett and then he was not able to win the next time around. So I think it's really going to be critical that uh, Democrats in Athens keep a sharp eye on this because from looking at the data, uh, from my point of view, the real thing that won us these seats is that Turnout in Athens was incredibly high for a special, and it was incredibly low in the other parts of the district. And so the question is, can that disparity remain when people are a bit more enthusiastic to turn out for other reasons? Because Athens also had a T-splost on the um, ballot. And, you know, me personally, I, I always vote, but like in terms of like what makes me excited, I don't really get excited about T-splosts, and I do get excited about candidates, so I don't know why this argument has like been in the media so much, but there's a lot of people that have said, like, oh, Athens turned out because there was a T-splost, and I don't know if I, if I, if I, buy, that, if I buy that. What was the T-splost on? Just 
I mean, transportation, that's where every cheese blast is on. But, I mean, it's like they're doing the Firefly Trail, and uh, they're doing um, some bus expansion. Like, they're expanding the routes a little big, and they're, like, putting, like, covers over more of the bus stops. Like, a lot of great things. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, the cheese blast is good. Like, there's a lot of good stuff in it. But it's just like, I don't know if that's why people showed up. And, you well, know, if the, it is I mean, huge... The, if it is, Luke, yeah, a huge shout out to Tim Denson because I didn't really know anything about like Athens local transportation or anything and and I haven't paid super close attention since I haven't lived there in a while. But I I know a surprising amount of like when Athens when the local council decided to do Sunday bus service. Um I mean, I think him and that Athens for everyone group has gotten people locally excited about things like that in their community and so if that is why some people showed up you know big shout out to him for that well another big shout out to tim and i've told him this personally so this won't come to a surprise to him but uh tim is running for city council in athens and our county commission the same same thing in athens because we the city government is the county government but anyway he's running for county commission and he actually suspended his campaign like for most of the special election and so uh he and his supporters really really did a great job in showing up for both of these candidates and i think it would be remiss to not point out the great work that they did um also i'll shout out to gabe shippy if you're out there because he worked really really hard for uh deborah gonzalez and he was out there a whole lot um and you know gabe's been on our show and he'll probably be on again sometime soon so yeah i mean and i I could try to like name everybody that i knew that did like amazing work for both these campaigns but the show would take for like an hour uh of just me naming people so i'm just gonna limit to to those two uh who are in my uh personal circle but yeah i mean a ton of people did really really great work on these campaigns and uh there's there's a lot of different reasons why i think the margins were as big as they were but i think when you come down to it it's just that like democrats wanted and needed a win so badly that they were just willing to turn out and to work harder than they usually are and i think the question is is that is that energy going to maintain itself because at least in my opinion one of the bigger problems that georgians have as an electorate is that the Democrats do not show up in the way that Republicans do, and it's so much harder to get Democrats to show up than it is for Republicans to show up. So if Democrats are enthusiastic and they really want to show up, the numbers are there for us to win, and not just in Athens, but places all around the state. So I think that is really the question I'm wanting to have answered when we you know, see uh, this governor's race next year. And uh, of course, all the state house and state senate seats are going to be up as well. I want to see if we have that enthusiasm. And the thing that makes me think we might is if I was in a different life position as a Democrat interested in politics and I saw these results, I would be very interested in considering running (laughs) because these two election results were just insane and if you run a good campaign and you run a good candidate, you can do well. Because the other thing that we haven't talked about is the fact that, like, Jonathan Wallace did really good in Oconee County, <laughs> which if you don't know, like, Oconee County, it's really conservative and it's very rural. I mean, like, he didn't win, but, like, compared to other Democrats, like, he did really well. And, you know, that is not something we should forget because... It's just like people write off a lot of areas that Democrats could actually make significant gains. And even if that candidate can't win that state house district, if they're boosting the turnout in, 
you know, rural parts of the state and those people show up to vote for them. But while they're there, they vote for one of the Stacey's for governor. Then like we might win the governor's race based off of that. And so, I mean, that's, that's really, really important to be considering like what the effects are going to be and who's going to be riding whose coattails and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's really, really intense to, to think about because it just puts us in play in a way that I think a lot of people did not, realize that we were in play which you know i hoped and dreamed but uh did not suspect before we get too far into lessons for democrats and and i want to talk about virginia a little bit i do just want to talk about jonathan wallace and deborah gonzalez the the candidates a little bit um because there are there are going to be two new democrats and there's going to be a few more but the but the runoffs will decide between jen jordan jaha howard and and also sachin um who you talked to luke he made the runoff against um b win uh for the in the state house seat that stacy abrams held before she left to run for governor um so we'll talk about them too as once those runoffs get through and in terms of what those two new democrats will bring to the house but luke you you know, these campaigns, Deborah's and Jonathan's, they were both pretty close to you. And, and you talked to Jonathan on the show. Um, what do you think of Deborah and Jonathan? And, and what are they going to bring to the state house um, as two new Democrats from Athens? I mean, I think the main thing that they're going to bring is a lot of energy and a lot of of focus on trying to make the state better and not accepting the status quo. Because if you listen to, you know, my talk with Jonathan, I mean, that's the big thing that I take away from him is that like, it's not even like, he's definitely a Democrat. He's definitely progressive. But like the things that frustrate him is the fact that Georgia has a lot of problems. I mean, every state has problems. It's not unique to Georgia, but like, He's just not going to accept the Republican talking points or the status quo on how things have to be, and he's going to be willing to stand up for his district. And, you know, a lot of his district is Athens, but a lot of it's Oconee, too. And so he's definitely seems... he. I think the thing that really, really made me think that Jonathan could win, and I'm going to say similar things about Deborah, but it's just like, when I listen to him at forums... He sounded like he was talking about how he personally felt, what he saw in his community, and what he hoped he could do, and how he hoped he could represent his constituency. And when I listened to the Republicans, I could just like, you know, imagine them looking at talking points that someone in Atlanta gave them, and that's what they read, because they thought that's what Trump voters or whatever wanted to hear. And that's just not what he did. Um, Again, and that's my district, so I can talk a little bit better about it, because... I live in that district, and so I heard a lot and saw a lot from that district. Similarly with Deborah and Houston Gaines, who was her opponent, who, by the way, is, like, younger than me, Houston, I affectionately call a robot programmed in Atlanta, like, to try to, like, win this seat, because that, I mean, like, he literally, if you listen to Houston Gaines' talking points, he literally sounded like Nathan Deal. Like, he talked about how Georgia was the number one state to do business. Like, I literally Did he say the AAA bond rating thing? Yes. Like... Did he really... (laughs) Like, I kid you not, like, he was literally campaigning on, like, Deal's talking points from his governor's race. And I was just like, what is happening? Turns Uh, out Gaines is not the real deal. Yeah, and then, like, he was not the real deal or deal real. And so, you know, like, he was, (laughs) and, like, he supported Trump, like, very vocally. And he's just like, it didn't didn't match the district. And 
in a lot of ways, it felt like to me that it didn't even match like his authentic positions, and maybe it did, but just like the way that it came off, like it just came off to me, and I'm biased of course because I'm a Democrat, <laughs> but it's like it came off to me that like he was like just supporting like what people in Atlanta thought he needed to say to like wing, whereas like Deborah and Jonathan, neither one of them are uh, you know, career politicians, this is the first time either one of them have ever ran for office, and, you know, they just seemed like normal people who were sick of the status quo and wanted somebody to step up to run for these seats, and nobody else was, because Jonathan literally said that that's why he ran, because nobody else did, and I've heard Deborah say similar things, so it's just like, that's, that's what I get out of both of these races, is that, like, you have the option between several Republican robots and then real people in your community. So I think that's part of the reason why they won. And so I say that to say that's what I expect to see from them is that they're going to be real people that are going to go up to Atlanta and try to do their best to represent their constituency. And I mean, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because, you know, it flipped to the Athens delegation now because now it's three Democrats in the state house and two Republicans in the state Senate. So, I mean, that's very significant. Uh, that will have impact for Athens. And, I mean, I think at the end of the day, what we're going to see is I think not only the Athens part of the district, but I think the other parts of the district are going to be represented better. And, the, and that's not only a Democrat-Republican thing. I think just the fact that we're in a minority and the fact that we listen have to listen to our community their communities to win like that's the way they won is that they listen to what the people in those communities wanted and tried to represent that the republicans did not do that chuck williams did not do that regina quick did not do that and that is something you have to do if you're going to win in these districts you can't just like toe the republican party line and uh, you know ride that loyalty into office so i think that's the biggest thing is that our community is going to be actually listened to for the first time in a long time. And so let's talk a little bit about the national implications of, you know, both the results in Georgia and what we can learn for statewide races next year, but also the results out of Virginia um, and other places around the country, which showed a lot of enthusiasm among Democrats across the board. Um, Austin, what did you see out of the results nationally that, that stuck out to you in terms of what we can learn in Georgia looking to 2018? Yeah, I think obviously, I mean, there's a lot happening around the the country, but the big focus is is of course on on Virginia and Northam's victory, and then the huge, huge flip of seats in the Virginia House of Delegates. You know, I think I know they're still counting votes. I think in a couple places, but I mean, basically at this point, the the Democrats I believe have have 50 seats now. Before they had 34 seats out of 100. If you don't know Virginia House of Delegates here. So, I mean, this is a 15-16 seat flip in the House of Delegates, and that's just impressive. I think it's the largest the largest flip in either direction in the history uh, of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Make sure not to call it a state. They get um, very mad about that. <laughs> yeah. So, I just think, you know, and we could talk about the numbers, and there's a lot of people who have dug into the numbers there and, and what happened. I think Northam got about 54% of the vote, which still ended up with only, you know, just maybe 50 seats in the House of Delegates. So there's the gerrymandering issue there. But Virginia did it right. I mean, they had a competitive governor's race there and not even a midterm election 
right, by the way, you're talking, these are elections in between any of the normal federal elections. So people in Virginia got to show up on a time that's not necessarily expected to. And they had candidates across the state and good candidates, especially the, the, you know, looking on the Democratic side here. I mean, candidates from, from all walks of life and, you know, fit their districts and talked about the issues that, that were important to them. And, you know, pretty much swept the state and, and brought it back to where it really needed to be. I mean, on the on the brink of super minority, they flipped it and now have, you know, or at least even with the Republicans in the House of Delegates. And I think that's something that, that we can look at in the state of Georgia for, for us Democrats is, you know, yes, remember that this was, these were special elections. There were only, you know, a couple races happening. So the entirety of the, the force could come out for those races. And that's important to remember, but remember, we got candidates who decided that they were going to run in places that hadn't seen a candidate in a long time. And we can talk about what the, the, the presidential results were in that district and what Clinton got in 117 and 119, but without having actual candidates on the ballot, you never really know what a new candidate is going to get. And I think that's important to remember when we're looking at other districts around the state here is to, you know... Remember that a lot of these places haven't seen a Democrat on the ballot other than, you know, top of the ticket stuff. And it took some people, you know, being a little gutsy and going out there and and trying in places that people viewed as deep red and which shouldn't have ever been viewed as deep red. I mean, look back at my 2016 numbers and these things, you know, the top 15 districts ish on where Democrats should have been should have been looking. And this tells a lot about people thinking about running that these people went out there and ran and did a lot better than what anyone ever expected. And we shouldn't really be too surprised about that. I mean, people were finally given a second choice in these places and they chose that, that option they never had before. And that's something that can go across the board. And I think that's what Virginia really tells us. Um, you know, the way the governor's race played out and the way the house of delegates races played out is that, you know, it's potentially something to look at for Georgia and how we can, we can model this, this going forward. Um, the, the thing that I would add, um, cause I'm, I'm up in DC and I'm a little bit closer to the Virginia politics and you know, we get a lot of reporting in the Washington post about what goes on in Virginia and, and they send a bunch of reporters out into these state house races or state house of delegates races. Um, but the one thing that, that caught my eye about the Virginia governor's race was that this really was Trumpism on the ballot in a sense. It was Trumpism without Trump. And there was this argument during the Obama era about how, you know, Democrats struggled in midterms because Obama was not on the ballot. And so it was really difficult to sort of recreate the magic that he sort of just has as a candidate. Um, Trump, to some extent, had a different kind of magic, but it, it was something that was sort of very much tied to him and his personality. And, and people felt very drawn to that. Um, and so Ed Gillespie was the Republican candidate for governor in Virginia. And he wa- he ran on a Trumpism without Trump strategy. He basically tried to knock the same issues that Trump did. He talked a lot about immigration here in Virginia. Um, Virginia, he, he attacked sanctuary cities in Virginia, but it turns out Virginia doesn't actually have any sanctuary cities. Um, there is a, a an issue locally with... Uh, there's a Salvadorian gang called MS-13 that's come up among immigration hawks very frequently. Um, and there's sort of a long-going sort of minor crime issue related to them, and that's a local thing in Virginia. Uh, but he tried to take that issue statewide, ran a lot of 
ads that you know were pretty plainly racist against Latinos and Hispanics in Virginia. Um, and that strategy appears to have failed. There were polls right before the race where it looked like Gillespie was kind of closing in on Northam. There were a lot of people concerned that Northam was kind of a plain Democrat that couldn't get people excited. It, it was a little bit of the same worry that was there with Hillary Clinton. And Ed Gillespie was tapping into the things that really motivated and, and pissed off Trump voters. Um, so there was a concern that you know, that Trumpism, this sort of ideology that he's created could be exportable to other candidates so that even when he wasn't on the ballot, his people would get excited. They would see somebody who fought for Donald Trump and they would jump up and say, well, I need to defend this person. They're on Team Trump. That clearly plays into our our governor's race looking forward to next year with Michael Williams, who's he wants to be the state of Georgia's Donald Trump. Um, But I think his chances in you know, maybe not in the Republican primary, but should he win the primary and go on to the general, the lesson that I think you could pull for him or for any other candidates that would come out of the Republican side that want to emphasize these issues is that if they are pitching Trumpism without Trump's personality to an electorate that hates Donald Trump, uh, which was pretty clear in Virginia, there were a lot of people who said, um, just some of the anecdotal reporting in the Washington Post, that people went to the polls who had voted for Republicans their entire life, but they were sick and tired of what was going on in Washington, which does feel somewhat local here in the the D.C., Virginia area. And so they wanted to send a message about what was going on in Washington. And the reporters were asking them, so what was it that Northam stood for that you cared about? Or or do you know, you know who was the lieutenant governor candidate that you voted for? What was their name? And they some of these voters couldn't really tell you anything about the Democrats, but they said, I voted for them because they want a Republican and I'm sick and tired of these Republicans. Um, and so I, you know, I don't know if that anger and frustration with Donald Trump can extend into 2018. His approvals have been going lower and lower basically since he was inaugurated, he's been on a pretty steady negative track in his approval ratings, but these races are more and more becoming reflections on how people feel about the president and national politics, because that's what they know about. Um, and if that continues to be the trend going into 2018, I think Republicans across the country are in trouble, you know, especially Republicans in Georgia. Yeah, I'm going to throw a little cold water on that, though, because Ed Gillespie wasn't really like the best avatar for like the Trumpism brand, because I mean, he's an establishmentarian guy. He's run several races in Virginia before. So, you know, I, I there's a lot to like the Trump magic or whatever it is that like make people like him, but like I some think people a very some a people. very dedicated small number yeah a very dedicated <laughs> group of small people for sure but like I don't think Ed Gillespie is the type of person that they like because like the thing that the Trump people who like Trump say about him is that he's so authentic and that he just says what he means and all that kind of stuff and that's not Ed Gillespie at all and, you know it's just like it to me it did not seem authentic and that's where you know if there is an argument for what why people like Trump you know besides racism is the fact that like Trump literally will just go out there and say exactly what he's thinking and exactly what he wants to do and Ed Gillespie does not strike me that way, and I don't think he would strike any Virginian that way either, just because they've like seen him in so many races to, uh, before. To bring that local, this would be like if Casey Cagle won the Republican nomination and then turned around and started acting like and, and talking like Donald Trump 
um, in trying to claim his mantle. I, I don't think any, I mean, maybe one of y'all disagree with me. I don't think anyone sees Casey Cagle as like a Trumpist candidate, whereas definitely Michael Williams and probably Brian Kemp could pivot in that direction. I don't think Hunter Hill really could either. Um, but that that's sort of the local comparison. Ed Gillespie's a longtime Republican swamp creature from from D.C., former fundraiser, RNC chair. Uh, I mean, he's a career politician guy who who tried to pick up this Trump banner and was not successful, actually performed much worse than he did as a sort of establishment Republican when he almost beat Mark Warner for the the Senate seat uh, for one of Virginia's Senate seats. And that was either 2014 or 2016. I can't remember now. Yeah, but I think your your I think part of your point still stands though in that like I think he actually did manage to piss off Democrats and piss off middle of the road voters in a way that like he probably wouldn't have had he just like stayed boring at Gillespie. So I think he probably hurt himself. The other thing that's important about the Virginia race that we didn't actually really specifically point out is at least from me watching those results and kind of you know keeping my eye on the really competitive races more than all the races look like democrats contested most of those seats if not all of them and i i know looking at the results i heard that the democrats were contesting more seats than the republicans were so with that in mind i mean that's that again it wraps back around to what i think one of the bigger problems in georgia is is that we just fail to contest all the seats and I we've we've thrown this stat out before but it's critical to understand that like Democrats if we had won every single seat that we contested in 2016 would not have had a majority in the state house and that is frankly unacceptable yeah this Stole is my line, signal Kyle. Austin I know it's like I could just like get this tattooed on my forehead I think uh, <laughs> but hopefully not because then it wouldn't go away hopefully in 2018 when maybe we do contest that many seats um yeah I mean I think it goes back to kind of what I was saying is that 117 and 119 hadn't had a candidate Right. I think it was since redistricting, redistricting, right? In 2010, I think was the last time maybe they had a candidate. Right. And Neither one of them. So we don't know what's really going to happen if somebody does run. You know, we're seven years out from there. And we can look at the presidential numbers, like I said, and that's all we can really go off of because there hasn't been this other choice. And if the Democrats can't even give everyone another choice, then what are we doing? I think sometimes we can beat ourselves up and look down. I'm like, Oh, it's gerrymandering. It's going to be so hard for us to win this many seats. It's going to be so hard for us to really compete. You know, what Democrat is going to want to go and just lose in these districts. Well, I think 117 and 119, as well as what Virginia did show that, you know, there's a decent chance you could actually be competitive here. You know, a lot of these districts are, are, are close and there's a good number of districts that are closer than 117 and 119 and so many of those the democrats could compete in and actually give the options here to all the people in the state instead of just you know being by default for the republican because there's not a democrat there i mean i think the democrats just have to stop thinking that the gerrymandering is just going to keep us from winning no matter what you have to work with it and you have to figure out how you can win in those places and turn out the people you need to turn out and probably convince a few of the other people too but there are so many opportunities there for Democrats if they just show up and get somebody who's willing to put in the work and get on the ballot. And, man, that's easier said than done, of course. But, you know, this is the signal to so many Democrats that you can compete in these races. You can run. And if you're in a place where <laughs> you want to run and you can, let's talk to some people and they can make it happen. I mean, it's 
the opportunity is definitely there. Virginia showed that 117 and 119 showed that. So 2018 needs to be a year where we can test. And obviously not every seat, but enough to at least take a majority. Yeah. And, and to kind of second that real quick in, in kind of a positive way and a negative way. So the positive thing I'd say is like, neither one of these campaigns had the amount of time that the campaigns in Virginia had, had the amount of time that traditional campaigns in Georgia have because they were special elections. So both of them kind of just came out of nowhere and just like popped out of the ground and, and you know, went running to the races and managed to win in the way that they did. And so, I mean, that's really significant because, I mean, the thing is too, is that again, the frame of mind that I had is that like we had to run perfect campaigns with perfect candidates and then that's how we win these seats. And, you know, that's that's a very unrealistic expectation because no one is perfect um and you know both of these campaigns uh have they lost there's a lot of things i could have been talking about that they did wrong but you know we're not talking about those things because they won so i mean there's that to think about but the other thing to think about too is that i think a big thing in georgia is what you're talking about austin where like nobody wants to run for these seats because they think it's impossible and it's been completely gerrymandered but i think that sort of creates a self-fulfilling prophecy where not only does no one run, but like no one votes either. And these districts are very heavily gerrymandered, but maybe they're not as gerrymandered as we think. Maybe they are a lot closer than the designers of the maps think they are. And if we run a candidate, then Democrats actually have a chance to show up and really get excited about these races and really make it happen. Yeah, I mean, they were gerrymandered, but gerrymandered to a super minority is pretty difficult for for any party to do and i think we've taken this gerrymandering thing and said you know obviously i have big issues with gerrymandering and i think if the democrats get a new majority and even before we need to try to get independent redistricting get the politics out of it all that let's get that out of the way but we've used this gerrymandering thing to almost hurt ourselves and say like oh we can't really compete you know woe is me kind of thing like we're not going to be able to do this unless some miracle happens and we can we can get in there i mean Yes, they're drawn in a way that's beneficial to the Republicans. You know, we saw that in the Athens area, but it wasn't perfect. There are ways to take advantage of it, and there are ways to do things there. So, yeah, I mean, I just think we can't use that as a reason to not run. Uh, people need to just, we, we need to be able to step up, and they need to have the support, too. They need to have the support of the people around them, you know. Give the money to these people in these places so that they can run campaigns. And I think what we show, you know, you're talking about perfect campaigns and perfect candidates and all that. You know, I don't know. Is there a perfect campaign? But I think what's more important, like you said, you saw from the candidates is that they were real people and they went out there and actually started talking to the people and talking about issues that people cared about. And that's what's important. It's not just sitting there bashing Trump or sitting back and talking about, oh, I'm just this, you know, interesting person. Like, talk about the issues and be a real person. And that's going to make a difference. You know, Jonathan Walls flipped the district by 14 points from what was expected given the presidential numbers. I mean, be a real person, go run in a race stop complaining about gerrymandering and let's get some things done and the other thing i'll say on that real quick is um in showing up to really do work i saw sam park representative sam park show up to multiple events for both of these campaigns and uh uh, minority leaguer bob trammell was out there a lot too i think that's a big difference too that in previous races, I didn't see that kind of support from out of the district, and this time I did. And so I think that really, really makes a difference and shows that there's a bit of a culture change that's happening in the current leadership as well, and they're definitely more willing to come out and support these candidates and make sure that they uh, they do a good job. So, so uh, a question for you, Kyle, given that you're 
up in Virginia and probably saw the the governor's race play out and specifically the Democratic primary play out a little bit more. There's an article um, in Georgia Poll by LaDawn Jones about um, comparing the way the primary played out with um, uh, the, the Democrats in Virginia and how the primary might play out for the Democratic candidates for governor here in Georgia. And I'm curious if you felt that that accurately represented the race up in Virginia, at least from your view up there and kind of looking down as not necessarily an outsider on Georgia, but somebody who's more attuned to what's what's happening down here. If you felt that that kind of lined up. I think um, just to kind of give a brief overview of what of what LaDon Jones argues in her article, she basically says that, you know, Northam is a a, Demo- a moderate Democrat who voted twice for George W. Bush. Um, he's somebody who who had moderate positions, who was able to increase his vote share among the you know white voters that were lost in the Clinton campaign to Donald Trump, and that this sort of sets the stage for why Stacey Evans would be the more competitive Democratic candidate for governor than Stacey Abrams, because Evans is a Democrat from Trump country who lives in the suburbs, and and she's somebody who has her support locally and doesn't have support from the national groups in the way that um, Stacey Abrams does. Stacey Abrams has a lot of national fundraising support and, um, you know, is a, is a progressive star in comparison to Stacey Evans, uh, which we talked about, you know, in relation to like the Netroots conference and things like that. So I actually think that both for the case that LaDon Jones makes in support of Evans in in her theory of the democratic race versus the case that Stacey Abrams makes in her theory of increasing turnout among African American and other non-white voters and and increasing enthusiasm among those groups to deliver democrats victory over republicans in 2018 i actually think that the the story out of the virginia race is a, a lot simpler than what don jones is writing here and I, and i think she has some motivated reasoning because she is supporting a candidate that has a very clear theory on this race. Um, I think if Democrats are going to win the governorship in 2018 in Georgia, it's going to be a very direct rebuke to President Donald Trump. Um, you know, we talked earlier about the voters in Virginia that said they were voting for a Democrat after voting for Republicans for a long time because they were just pissed about what was going on in Washington. I don't think that the results out of Virginia necessarily make either Evans theory or Abrams theory correct or wrong. I think that both could play out. But I think that what underlies both of those theories that even makes this race competitive at all for Democrats is that there needs to be a big wave against Donald Trump and in support of Democrats, regardless of who they are, uh, because there's a a big numbers gap to overturn to overcome there. Um, But I don't really think I think that they have both have some pretty creative theories and it'll be interesting to see it play out. I actually don't think that there's a lot of evidence on either side that I've seen. That's, that's really good, solid evidence to suggest that one is right over the other. Yeah. I think the best comparison there and really the only real comparison is the whole national versus local support. And there's that. I think, I think beyond that, you know, Evans isn't, I'm kind of doubtful that Evans would have been somebody that voted for, George W. Bush twice and things like that. Um, so I think the the comparison kind of uh, goes away a little bit after you take out the just the the national versus local 
support there. And I, and I agree. I think there's there's interesting points that they both have on the theories to win win in Georgia and probably is going to take a combination of the both of them um, to really do it. So, yeah, I don't know. I was just curious, you know, somebody from Virginia, not from Virginia, but who's up in, in that area right now, if they're same kind of view on what the race ended up being as to what it was being presented by by Jones. Um, let's kind of wrap this up with just a little bit on the Atlanta mayor's race and um, some of the Atlanta city council races. So uh, the Atlanta mayor's race is going to a runoff. There were, I think, over 10 candidates in the first round. Um, but Keisha Lance Bottoms and Mary Norwood, they're both going to advance from this round into the runoff that is in early December. Keisha Lance Bottoms was the one that was ultimately endorsed by current mayor Kasim Reed. Mary Norwood is somebody who almost became mayor in 2009. Um, I think she ended up losing the runoff to Kasim Reed back then by a few hundred votes, maybe. And so that was a very close race. This is, is something that that Mary Norwood's had her eye on for quite some time. And it's going to be kind of an interesting decision that Atlanta voters have to make because Mary Norwood is by far the most conservative politician that in Atlanta circles. Um, she's pretty much this is a nonpartisan race, but I think she's it's pretty safe to assume that she is you know at least a moderate Republican, um, even though it's hard to pin down what the partisanship of these candidates is. Um, and then Keisha Lance Bottoms to to some critiques from particularly the far left is sort of the corporate Democrat. And, and has been sort of tagged with that from folks on the left who supported uh, former state Senator Vincent Fort, um, who fell short. He was somebody who I think we were kind of surprised that he wasn't more competitive in this race, mostly, I think, because he's a he's a name that we know from covering state politics. And he's somebody who's been active in Atlanta politics and in, in protest movements and things like that in Atlanta for a very long time. Luke or Austin, I'll... Uh, kick this over to you just what was your impression from the Atlanta mayor's race and um and as we're moving towards the runoff in in December what are you looking towards uh to understand about where the politics in the city of Atlanta is going I think um you know as it as we got closer to election day it became I think pretty clear to to most people who wanted to at least be honest with themselves that um these were the two that were going to get into the runoff um you know there were some nasty stuff going on especially when you got like 11 candidates i think um across the board so you know and, and then kasim reed obviously had a big a big part in it and put his his weight behind it but you know you look at the total numbers here and of course i think between the two of them i don't think they broke 50 percent. if i'm doing my math right right now that is yeah. correct so you know more than half the people didn't want these candidates and that's always kind of an interesting thing is um you've got a good contingent of people that are going to have to be won over i think something to watch is probably uh where the the willard voters go of course i mean that's you know third place but she did really well if i'm remembering correctly in kind of the the east parts of fulton and into the the cab portion of um of atlanta so i think it'll be interesting to see where the candidates go and what what they kind of shift on to try to win her voters because Willard's not really like the other two candidates, of course. So I think that's probably what to really watch is where do they shift and what do they do to try to win over those that next next section of voters um, that definitely didn't come in their direction. 
Wollard is probably going to send a pretty strong signal to her reporters. I saw, I can't remember where, I think it was in the AJC, that she's planning to host a forum uh, between Lance Bottoms and Mary Norwood, um, where she she's the moderator and, and basically lays out the case of, or has these two candidates sort of vie for her endorsement um, by trying to see if they're going to do anything about the issues that she cares about. I, I don't know that that's common. I've never seen that before. But yeah, one of the former candidates, it looks like is going to host a forum between the two that went to the runoff, um, and then base her endorsement on that on that forum and what the candidates left say. Yeah, I'm kind of taking a, a different tact on it because, you know, I don't live in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's something I talk about a lot, how I'm going to not live in Atlanta if I can just because so there has to at least be one Democrat that doesn't live in Atlanta. Um, but more importantly, when I watch this race, the thing that I'm most fascinated by is the fact that when we look nationwide, there's been a whole lot of races that have gotten a lot of attention in the circles that I follow that there's, you know, a lot of energy on the progressive side of things. And, you know, again, living in Athens, that's why I bring up that I'm not in Atlanta. Like, there are a ton of progressive candidates who are running for county commission and for our mayor, next mayor. And I really think they are favored to win. And that's not, like, my bias of they are the ones I support because I support Jonathan really hard and I wasn't sure he was going to win. But I really think the progressive candidates in Athens are very strongly favored to win. And it's really going to reshape our county commission. And you've seen that happen in a lot of places that were, you know, all around the country. And you've seen it in northern cities. You've seen it in southern cities. You've seen it in really rural places. You've seen it in really urban places. So I am fascinated that Atlanta has that same energy. And I see it from a lot of uh, my friends, but does not seem to have the ability to pull it off for whatever reason. Because... You know, again, looking at the mayor's race, both of the candidates that really pushed, you know, were pushed through and to the runoff, like they're pretty status quo. Like, you know, there's not going to be a huge change in the city of Atlanta culture, I think, from either one of them. Uh, so there's there's that. And then, you know, talking about some of the uh, just two of the Atlanta City Council races that I kind of watched just because they were getting coverage. And one of them, I actually know someone in it. And we've had on the show, Jason Dozier, in Atlanta City Council District four, um, you know, the incumbent who's had a lot of corruption problems, a lot of, you know, things that you would think would turn voters off from her still got 42 percent of the vote. And the next closest was Jason Dozier, who made it to the runoff, and he got 20%. And, you know, 42 is not 50%, so, you know, that that makes that race a pretty close toss-up, in my opinion. I think it's going to be a really hard-fought race. And then in Atlanta District um, City Council Council District 5, the incumbent also won against uh, Liliana Bakhtari. I hope I said that right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and she was getting a lot of attention. She's a, you know, a really young candidate really pushing against the status quo. And both of those candidates, I mean, I thought were running really great campaigns, both Jason and Liliana thought were running great campaigns and thought that they were favored to do better than they did. Um, but I still think in district four, Jason's got a really good chance to win. It's just the question that I wonder is like, why did we not see a more radical, shift in atlanta uh from the status quo that's the big takeaway i have because i i kind of think all the atlanta races are sort of an asterisk because compared to what we saw everywhere else around the country 
they they kind of seem to be their own thing. And so that that's just my outsider's opinion of of Atlanta. I'm just well, curious. I think I think the Atlanta mayoral race had kind of that contingent of voters split between Willard and Fort, right? I mean, you look at their combined, and they if you put those two together, they would have um, eclipsed even bottoms in the in the total numbers there. So that may be part of it going forward is that it didn't necessarily coalesce around behind a single candidate there. Which Athens Whereas, makes that mistake all the time. So I I buy that. Right. So I think I think that might be part of it there, at least on the mayoral race. Not as much probably on the city council races, which are, you know, less candidates. But it is an interesting interesting point to make that, you know, around the country we saw a lot more progressives getting elected and it didn't necessarily happen in Atlanta anywhere in Atlanta. So something to watch definitely and kind of try to figure out why, but yeah, I guess the last thing that I'd note is part of the way that I view the politics of the city of Atlanta for quite a while is the relationship between Kasim Reed and, and governor Nathan deal. And there's going to be both a new governor and a new mayor after at the beginning of 2019. And so part of what I was looking for, you know, is if somebody like Ford or Woolard would ultimately have become mayor in states with liberal or progressive local governments and conservative statewide governments, conservative legislatures, conservative governors, there's been a lot of tension between those cities and and the state government over uh, issues related to LGBTQ people, other issues where they've preempted the local authorities from basically being able to make, make laws about their own city. Um, and so that was something that might have happened here, but I don't think, you know, especially with the Democrats that are potentially running for governor or the Democrats that are running for governor and the Republicans. Um, and then the fact that it's going to be between Lance Bottoms and Norwood for the mayor's race, you're you're going to have to see a new relationship get built. Um, and that's going to be something interesting to watch in Atlanta politics. But it's not going to be this potentially very toxic relationship between uh, somebody from the far left or somebody who was like a democratic socialist candidate like Vincent Fort was against maybe a moderate Democrat governor or, or a conservative Republican governor. And who knows, maybe Georgia will make no sense at all and we'll let Governor Stacey Abrams and have uh, Mayor N- Mary Norwood. That would be the flip of the Kasim Reed, Nathan deal. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you, Kyle, because you, you've, you've been playing moderator uh, for most of this conversation. So like, what are your big takeaways from election night, 2017? What are, what are you looking at? I mean, I'm excited for the midterms. I think that the thing that has been challenging to, I think a lot of people that have watched politics since the rise of Donald Trump is he just doesn't, he hasn't really complied with the regular rules of politics at all. And I think the longer it went on from having all that enthusiasm about John Ossoff, but not really being able to move the numbers all that much. Um, you know, the fact that Hillary Clinton looked like a dominant candidate, but then Trump ended up winning. Um, it was sort of like questioning the law of gravity and politics. Like, is it ever going to exist again? And I think that this is evidence that it still does exist. And if you have Republicans get smacked in the midterms next year, then I think it does sort of prove that, you know, people, people look to politics in Washington to kind of understand what's going on in politics generally. And if they don't like what's going on in Washington, then when they have the opportunity to vote for lower level government officials, um, they're going to vote against the party in Washington to send a message. 
And if that happens with the midterms in a way that we expect, given Donald Trump's very consistent low approval rating, then I think that we're going to return to a little bit of a normal period. I mean, there will still be chaos in Washington, but at least we'll see that the actions that politicians take should have consequences in terms of their support. All right. So with that, I think we're going to leave this week's episode there. Um, We're going to pay more attention to the Atlanta mayor's race as that heads to a runoff. We also have the runoff between Jaha Howard and Jen Jordan, and then the runoff in Stacey Abrams' former seat between Sachin Varghese and B. Wynn. Um, so we're going to we're gonna look to those still. Election season is still not over in Georgia, and then it'll be back here again before we know it. Um, and then we're going to get back to our conversation with the governor's race as well. We actually have an episode and on session. death that we haven't put out yet um, about the forums that both the Democratic candidates and the Republican candidates participated in a few weeks back. Um, and then, yeah, before you know it, we'll be back in the legislative session. So lots of fun stuff, as always. It never ends. And it's always about Trump. Um, and with that, we will leave and it And healthcare. There. And healthcare. We didn't even mention Obamacare today. Obamacare. Made expanded Medicaid, so we're going to yeah, leave it But you just that. did. Yeah. Had to check it off <laughs> the list. All righty, we're going to get out of here. Y'all have a great week, and we will talk to you again next week. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend, and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.